Putin is a bully. He's a weak man. Hmm. Men who are hitting children and women cannot be strong men. But fear gives him more power. From WBEZ Chicago, this is Art of Power. I'm Arthi Shahani. Today, Daria Kalanuk. She has spent the last decade of her life building a fledgling democracy in her home country, Ukraine. She created the Anti-Corruption Action Center. She's built courts and passed laws to fight corruption. She's put oligarchs in hot water. Her work has been cited by Russian President Vladimir Putin in a bad way. And you may have seen this in a viral video. She is calling out world leaders who've been silent, like the UK's Boris Johnson. Because you are afraid. Because NATO is not willing to defend. Because NATO is afraid of a World War III, but it is already starting. This is what is happening, Prime Minister. Right now, Kalinyuk is a refugee for the second time, using her voice from abroad to fight for her country's sheer existence. If Ukraine fails, the entire idea of democracy will fail. Either Putin will eliminate Ukrainians and conduct genocide, throwing bombs to our nuclear power plants and destroying 40 million people, or we will win. This woman's work is a threat to autocrats and so-called strongmen everywhere. My name is Daria Kalinyuk. May I ask you how old you are? I'm 34. So that means that you were born when Ukraine was still part of the Soviet Union. That is correct. To understand the war in Ukraine, you need to understand her story, where she grew up, the uprising that shaped her, and the threat she poses to Vladimir Putin. What was it like growing up there? Well, uh, I remember 1990s, early 1990s. Mm-hmm. Uh, I lived in a small city of Zhitomir. It is one of those cities which are being bombed now. At that time in Ukraine, the economic situation was very poor. Uh, my mm-hmm. family couldn't afford a computer, never. Um, I lived in a small apartment with my mama, and I was making my home task at the kitchen. You were making your home what? My home home task from school, yeah. So uh, a homework, home task, homework, yeah. Uh, <laughs> from uh, basically from kitchen table uh, because. There was no separate room. And uh, I spent my summer holidays at my granny uh, mm. in the village. Mm-hmm. She went through World War II. And uh, during the summertime, I would be doing farming, basically taking care of chickens and other farmer animals. And so did you grow up feeling poor or you didn't think of yourself that way? I grew up feeling poor uh, because we could not afford, uh, you know, traveling on vacation somewhere outside or buying new clothes. Uh Uh, We would always save money in order for my education. I presume everybody else was in the same boat, more or less. More or less, but still there are some people much richer. And uh, very often those who were richer, as later I learned, they got that acquired that not through honest means. And mm. that the first time I've heard about corruption, bribes, and and that 
basically was injustice because my family was living honest life and we couldn't afford a lot of things. Mm. But it was more important for my mother to live honest life. Mm. Each generation of your family has lived through massive instability. And I'm wondering what were the messages they gave you about corruption, the state of your country, explicitly or implicitly? Well, from my grandmom, I learned that you always need to have food. And you never can throw away food. Because she was six years old when war started in Ukraine. And then after a war, immediately there was big hunger in Ukraine. And she always would want to have the storage of potatoes in her mm. house. Mm. Much more than she was able uh, to, and we were able to eat. And, you know, we were always laughing at that. Mm-hmm. But now I see my country where millions of people will have no food to eat very soon. Mm-hmm. Many lessons about what was uh, Soviet Union I learned from school and from reading books. And sometimes I was opening up history for, for my mother and for my grandmother because my mother was born in Soviet Union and they didn't study at school hmm. all the crimes of Stalin and Lenin. Hmm. Stalin execution of Ukrainians. Ten millions of people died because of hunger, because everything was deprived from them. Mm-hmm. And many generations of Ukrainians, they were afraid to talk about it and to tell to their children about uh, that starvation. And so your mother didn't learn about that in school? No, she learned from me. She learned about all these atrocities, basically, from me. Mm. Would she believe you? Yes, of course. She believed me. And my grandmother would be telling me about her being uh, a small kid and her parents holding her in front of the churches which were destroyed Mm. in her village by Stalin regime. What my grandmother was telling me from her childhood is happening now again in Ukraine. I watched today the destroyed church through which I was passing by bus every summer to visit my grandmother. So history is repeating and unpunished evil always returns back. Right now, in 2022, Russian troops are attempting to encircle Kiev, the capital of Ukraine. But Vladimir Putin first sent his troops to Ukraine years ago, in 2014, soon after Ukrainians began a massive uprising against corrupt leadership inside their country. This was a pivotal event in Ukrainian history. The president at the time, Viktor Yanukovych, made a sudden decision. He did not sign an agreement that would have strengthened Ukraine's ties with the European Union. Under pressure from Russia, he ignored his own parliament and chose instead to strengthen his ties with Putin. Protesters took to the streets of Kiev. 
I want to talk now about the is it Maidan Revolution? Am I saying it right? Maidan. Maidan Revolution. Yes. Say it for me. Maidan. 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 What were you doing right before the Maidan Revolution started in 2013? Well, I will start with two years earlier. Um, mm-hmm. In 2010-2011, I've got a scholarship and I studied in the U.S. I was a Fulbright student. Mm-hmm. And I, I was researching how to use international legal tools in order to tackle corruption from developing countries. And I wanted to return back to Ukraine to test some of the tools practically. Mm. Mm. So I returned mm. back in 2011, pregnant with no job, <laughs> uh, with no home, because uh-huh. you know we left Kharkiv, and so it was not clear where we would live with my husband. Uh-huh. I had husband, and. Uh, I decided to start the anti-corruption organization. So uh-huh. we set it up 10 years ago. And uh, that's basically what I was doing before the Revolution of Dignity and afterwards. Daria met with student activists and joined the protests before the Maidan revolution formally began. But then in one night, police brutally attacked students mm-hmm. with force. Mm-hmm. And then the next day, Myself, as well as 100,000 Ukrainians, appeared at the central street in Kyiv. People learned that their kids were beaten, and then their parents arrived. And then uh, people stood up, gathered in the streets, and started protesting. They were protesting police brutality and also widespread government corruption, the blatant abuse of power, the outsized influence of oligarchs, the ultra-rich businessmen who control politics. Daria was on the streets until she realized she had another role to play. My personal work and the role of Anti-Corruption Action Center was focused on Western assets of President Yanukovych, and his close associates. Like the the real estate holdings of then-President Yanukovych, the bank account. What we did, we did dossiers Mm -hmm. explaining their corruption, but also linking their corruption to companies uh, registered in Austria, in Germany, Mm. in Great Britain. Uh, We listed banks which were facilitating payments for President Yanukovych, and demanded Western governments to react. Daria connected the dots between power players inside Ukraine and the international financial system. Well, for example, we put together information about that corruption in Ukraine, matched it with their assets in Austria, and we submitted official legal claim to Austrian prosecutor's office. Hmm. explaining that if they steal money in Ukraine Mm -hmm. and then launder this money to Austria, it is a crime in Austria as well. And this crime has name, it's money laundering. Daria asked the international banks and regulators to follow the law and check the source of money. Did you guys check them? (laughs) And the answer? They never replied. 
but the criminal case was started. So we have triggered criminal case in, in Austria at that time. It's very novel work. It strikes me, you know, Daria, I'm just imagining being in your shoes at that point. You're part of a student activist movement and you're also reaching out to prosecutors and banking chiefs in other countries in Europe and America saying, hey, please pay attention to our political leaders because they're stealing money and cleaning it through your institutions. Yes, that exactly. Uh, and it is obligation for these uh, uh, countries and for these prosecutors to react if there is a crime. Austria did not respond to you directly. Did you get any direct responses? Americans were uh, open. Hmm. They contacted back and the uh, Department of Justice was probably the only agency from the only government who was trying to move proactively collecting information from us. Huh. But they were very understaffed and, uh, you know, it's not enough just to have one government in the world to trace process of corruption. Britain tried to do something, but still it was, it was not a priority for these countries, except a little bit mm -hmm. for, for, for America. Money, dirty money crossing the borders of European Union was never a priority. Mm. And I think it is one of the key roots of why Russia feels unpunishable and why Russian elite, including Vladimir Putin, feels they can buy anybody. There's still a little bit of fighting between the cops and the protesters. Fireworks going in one direction. During the Maidan revolution, more than 100 people were killed on the streets of Kiev, largely at the hands of the special police, or Berkut. Fucking hell, that was huge. This is the new barricade line. Ukrainian citizens disappeared. Daria witnessed this from her own office. I'm seeing from my balcony how during the night they kidnap people and grab them inside zones which were controlled by police, we understood that we can't operate anymore from our office. Because special police noticed that some sort of coordination is being done from our headquarters. And uh, we have decided immediately to evacuate the office. So I remember, basically, we grabbed things which uh, were the most important uh, luggage Mm -hmm. And during the night, we went. We didn't know where we to would where? go. To the airport. And we bought the ticket to the first country, which was reachable. It was Czech Republic's. When you left that night, heading to the airport with your baby and your husband and a few of your colleagues, were you hopeful, afraid? Did you think, oh, this is just a short trip? Well, when we were sitting in the plane, you know, there was a delay with our departure. Mm-hmm. And I was wondering, is this delay because some special forces are now coming inside to check uh, myself and my, my, my kid uh, and get me out? Or is that really because the weather is too cold and uh, the plane has to warm up its uh, wheels? Moving developments in Ukraine after those deadly protests, the government firing back. The president tonight is in hiding and just... Shortly after your departure, 
the protests, they seem to work. And then President Yanukovych, he ended up fleeing to Russia. For the second time in a decade, Ukraine has ousted its president, sending shockwaves from Washington to Moscow and dealing a massive blow to Vladimir Putin's Russia. Where Vladimir Putin gave him asylum. Ukraine signed an agreement with the European Union. And also Russia invaded Ukraine. Yes. Both in Crimea and in in the East. Did you feel hopeful or did you feel conflicted about what had just happened in that moment? At that moment, there there was a mix of emotions and things were happening so fast. You you couldn't even proceed them all fast. It's very similar to what is happening now. But the mix Mm. of feelings... uh, we understood that we have a window of opportunity for changing Ukraine. And this window might not last for quite a long time. New politicians uh, uh, came to power and uh, they were open to do real reforms. Mm-hmm. And all our previous experience helped us to draft and create entire anti-corruption infrastructure in Ukraine. So we understood that it's impossible to reform existing agencies like like prosecution office, like police office. Uh, it's it's easier to create something from scratch. Mm, it's too broken to fix. Yeah, it's we created National Anti-Corruption Bureau of Ukraine with powers to investigate ground political corruption. We created a system of asset disclosure for public officials, which is now one of the most profound in the world. We passed in Parliament a revolutionary law which would allow us to clean up entire judiciary in Ukraine. You're making this sound like a like a golden era. It sounds like even if it was tough, you were doing things that were actually working. Absolutely, yeah. It was working. Give an example. Well, just a couple of months ago, a anti-corruption court confiscated a million dollars from a member of parliament because mm. of illicit origin of this money. Uh, people which are untouchable is, is under prosecution and undergoing trial as well. And you played a role in making that happen? Yes. And so how did you feel seeing not just international bodies intervening, but now Ukrainian officials go with this accountability work? How did you feel seeing that shift? Well, you simply see the fruits of your work. You see that it is possible to change Ukraine. People were desperate for justice. And we were building the immune system of the state. And corruption was a cancer which made them impossible to deliver justice. What Daria Kalinyuk is describing is a vivid, modern-day example of what it means to build a fledgling democracy. And despite Russia's invasion, taking Crimea and arming separatists in eastern Ukraine, it was working. In 2019, Ukraine elected its second president under its new democracy, a lawyer and former comedian, Volodymyr Zelensky. With President Zelensky, we had different times, you know. Um, His first half year of presidency was quite progressive. They managed to deliver a lot of um, 
reforms in anti-corruption, mm-hmm. but in other sectors as well. But then there were rollbacks uh, and uh, uh, we were in contradiction with him. We were criticizing him. We, we mm-hmm. even did rallies uh, protesting against some steps of uh, Volodymyr Zelensky. I see. So you were basically in this back and forth of both supporting him in certain respects and going to his doorstep and protesting him at other yeah. moments. Yeah, but it was kind of the example Standard of, politics. of vibrant yeah. democracy. <laughs> right. It was democratic process. Uh, and right. um, That's you, what you do. Yeah. You fight, you get along, you fight, you get along. That's the point. Yeah. And so you're doing all of that. And you believe that Ukraine was becoming a vibrant example of democracy. I know. I know that Ukraine was becoming a vibrant example of democracy. And now I know that Ukraine became the leader of how to protect democracy. Explain that. That's a huge claim. In Ukraine, we were building stone by stone the strong state, the strong state institutions, which is impossible to destroy through corruption. This what was our goal. We wanted to build strong state institutions. Mm-hmm. The war happened and started in 2014. In Russia occupied Crimea. Russia then occupied eastern Ukraine. They did it quickly, swiftly, because we had weak institutions. Mm-hmm. Because they were able to buy, to corrupt decisions of uh, military, uh, decisions of judiciary, because the army was very weak. But our goal was to build state institutions which would prevent to destroy Ukraine from inside. Mm-hmm. To clear out the corruption that was cannibalizing the country from within. Yep, absolutely. Uh-huh. It really struck me in December of 2021, just a few months ago, you published an essay in Foreign Policy magazine. And you basically said... Ukraine is a real electoral democracy that has experienced a peaceful transition of power. You described it as a role model of successful democracy in action. You talked about how the work of holding public officials accountable for their lifestyles and properly prosecuting them could be a model for the rest of the world to look at. You were so hopeful and proud of how far your country had come. Yes, and I am still. And uh, in that article, we also mentioned why all these successes are threatening Russia. And Mm -hmm. we explained that Vladimir Putin fears of Ukrainian fight with corruption. He fears that Russian people will follow the path of Ukrainians. He feels that if Russian people will see that justice is possible in Ukraine, that justice is allowing people to live prosperous life, then then he will lose his power. And it wouldn't be possible for him to control anymore all these natural resources which belong to Russian people. Hmm. And in that article, we warned the world that we need help to protect our democracy because we are not that strong enough. 
what did you ask the Western world to do? We asked for delivering more weapons to Ukraine because we've already seen Russian amassing troops to the Ukrainian mm-hmm. border. Uh, we asked for the Western allies to impose economic sanctions on Russia as soon as possi- possible, especially uh, assets freezes on Russian oligarchs who keep their assets mm-hmm. across Western jurisdictions. As well as owning mansions, oligarchs from the former Soviet Union own football clubs and newspapers. And they send their children to the poshest schools and cozy up to our political parties with donations. Oligarchs are some of the heaviest spenders on British law firms and PR consultants. And what were the responses you got? Nothing. We've got response in January when it was already American and British intelligence suggesting that Russians are starting trainings in Belarus and that they are amassing troops on the north border of Ukraine. Suddenly, Mm. Great Britain started to deliver weapons to Ukraine. Mm. And then some other nations followed. But some, like Germany and France, would ban other countries who are NATO members to deliver weapons to Ukraine. Hmm. We begged Germany, halt Nord Stream 2, the pipeline mm-hmm. which connects Russia and Germany. And Germany would say, Putin will not like this. Less than a, than a week before the real invasion which happened February 24, I had dinner at Munich with uh, congressmen, uh, senators, ministers from different countries in Europe. And I spoke to them. I begged Mm -hmm. them, please act now. Mm -hmm. Impose sanctions on Russia now. Don't wait until the full war will start. We still can't stop him. And the response Mm. was, we don't want to provoke him. You know, Daria, in some ways, what you're describing is such an understandable impasse. How do you protect yourself from a bully? Do you fight back or do you kind of huddle and hope he loses interest or goes away? Putin is a bully. He understands only the the language of strength. But fear gives him more power. After the break, Daria Kalanuk explains why the current war has created for her a crisis of faith. I'm witnessing now how last 10 years of my life and the work of my last 10 years of life, was fully destroyed. This is Art of Power. I'm Arthi Shahani. According to Daria Kalanyuk, 
the fear, the reticence of other powerful actors, Germany, the UK, the US, it gave Vladimir Putin permission to invade her country. But as for Putin's motivation, Daria points to Ukraine's work in fighting corruption. To be clear, Ukraine did not fix all its problems. And when Russia invaded this year, in 2022, Ukraine still had a long way to go. But the fledgling democracy had made real headway, cleaning up the banking sector, creating an anti-corruption court. The Maidan revolution, which was a protest against corruption, it had global reach. Anti-government protesters in Venezuela and Hong Kong were inspired by it. Daria says Vladimir Putin felt threatened, that he did not want his own people getting ideas about fighting corruption at home. Did you think it threatened him enough to invade Ukraine? Yes, I know that. I heard his long speech on Monday. It was a few days before the invasion. And he mentioned in his speech all institutions which we were building during the last eight years. He mentioned National Anti-Corruption Bureau of Ukraine. He mentioned National Anti-Corruption Prosecution Office. He mentioned National... He cited your work. He mentioned all these agencies which we worked on. The embassy of the U.S. directly controls the national agency on preventing corruption. National Anti-Corruption Bureau, Specialized Anti-Corruption District Attorney Office, and Anti-Corruption Court. And he told that Ukraine is creating these institutions to fight corruption, but they are still very corrupt. And these are Americans and other Western governments who are using uh, non-governmental organizations to interfere into Ukrainian sovereignty. It's all done under the pretense to increase the efficiency of fighting corruption. Well, okay then, but where are the results? Because corruption is still there. It's even worse than it was. So he was so in the details of our work. But when Vladimir Putin is saying that, before declaring war, with all his angriness, it's kind of scary. But it's also the confirmation that he wants to punish Ukraine for building rule of law. When you saw that Putin was attacking your work in his speech... Was any part of you delighted to know, like, yeah, that's Absolutely. Right. It was, you know, the, <laughs> the compliment. So we understood that, yeah, so we did the right thing. We did the right thing. And it is important to defend this thing. I had no more illusions. I was convinced that I have to leave Kiev. And I was convinced that I have to tell all my team members that we have to leave Kyiv. I didn't expect that the war will happen in the form of bombing schools and kindergartens and universities and residential buildings. Uh, Some kind of a projectile hit this apartment building at about 8.15 this morning. And I was expecting that there will be Russian agents across the city, precisely targeting people who were doing reforms. And I knew that we were in the hit list. That there was a target on your back. Yeah. You knew you had to leave. I left. I left to Lviv. Um, 
and uh, then on the next day the war actually happened. Are you okay now? Are you safe? I feel safe now. Uh, uh, comparing to what people are experiencing on the ground in Ukraine, I'm at heaven now. May I ask you where you are? I'm in Warsaw. Okay. It's not a secret. It is important that Ukraine wins. And there is no way out. Ukrainians will not accept Russians at their territory. We will fight until the hell. So either Putin will eliminate Ukrainians and conduct genocide, throwing bombs to our nuclear power plants and destroying 40 million people, or we will win. We need the West to help us to win because it is the immediate interest of the West as well. You know, Daria, earlier in our conversation, you described helping to build what you called a strong state. Strong state institutions would be strong state clean. institutions. You were building what you called strong state institutions. And then fast forward to a couple weeks ago, you've got the icon of strong man, the strong man, Vladimir Putin, basically denouncing your work, holding it as an example of being a Western puppet and ultimately justifying his rationale for invasion. I don't think that Vladimir Putin is a strong man. He's a weak man. Men who are hitting children and women cannot be strong men. And his state is a weak state because everything is hierarchical and depend on him. His state is not delivering basic services to his people. His state is being built on fraud and on lies. His state is actually Orwell 1984 in action. When you understand that this guy is so mad and so desperate and he will run the war against your country, you know, it's a big frustration. But I'm so proud of my people who proved to the world and proved to Putin that he is not a strong man. And Russia is a sno not a strong state. Ukrainian military is much less in the amount of ammunition and amount of troops. Mm -hmm. But we are winning. We are shutting their planes we are shutting their tanks. We have self-defense units, mm -hmm. which are capturing Russian tanks. Mm -hmm. We have disabled people, which are preparing Molotov cocktails. Mm -hmm. We have women, which are able to destroy a drone with a cucumber gel. So I honestly didn't expect that my people and my country has such a strength. And I'm proud of that. By fleeing to Warsaw, Poland, Daria Kalanuk is keeping herself and the voice of Ukrainians alive and pushing Western leaders to pay attention. Recently, a friend helped her slip into a press conference with UK Prime Minister Boris Johnson. She's not a journalist, but news outlets assumed she was when she confronted him. Because you are afraid. 
Because NATO is not willing to defend. Because NATO is afraid of a World War III, but it is already started. And these are Ukrainian children who are there taking the hit. I see that my family members, that my team members are saying that we are crying. We don't know where to run. This is what is happening, Prime Minister. Well, thank you. Thank you very much for, uh, for your questions. And, and thank you for, for getting here today. And I'm, I'm glad that you, you have been able to, to get here. And uh, look, I just want to, to say that I'm acutely conscious that there is not enough that we can do uh, to, as, the, as the UK government uh, to help in the way that you want. And I've got to be honest about that. Daria, what have you learned about how power works? I've learned that there are many loopholes in the Western societies and Western democracies, which autocrats and dictators and the most dangerous people in the world are abusing. Mm -hmm. And I'm witnessing now how last 10 years of my life and the work of my last 10 years of life was fully destroyed. I don't believe in anti-corruption anymore. And I don't believe in rule of law anymore. What do you mean? Those are confusing statements. We are being executed by Russia for fighting corruption and building rule of law. And those allies which helped us to build anti-corruption and rule of law mm-hmm. are betraying us. They are not providing means to protect our democracy. I met Secretary Blinken a couple of days ago here in Warsaw, and I told him this into his eyes. Mm-hmm. We are fighting and we are winning. Ukrainians are defending democracy with blood. President Biden is running summits of democracies, but is not willing to provide to Ukraine support in the form of protection of our sky from Russian bombs. And this is our key demand now. I'm here in Warsaw, I'm saying to every, everybody, especially from America, guys, we trusted you. We gave up, as a country, nuclear arsenal in 1994 in exchange of security guarantees. Mm-hmm. And one of these guarantors is made in Ukraine, killing innocent children. And the United States is not able to provide air defense system to Ukraine. Because NATO is afraid to provoke Russia. And I'm mm-hmm. sick of listening to this argument. I've already heard it. That the West is afraid to provoke Russia. That sanctioning Russian oligarchs is a bad thing because we don't want to provoke Russia. And if the West is not able to help protect the most innocent people, the most people in need, then the West is forgetting its strength. You have to act now. Your fear is paralyzing you. Daria, it sounds like you've also learned and this is a painful lesson, that the last decade you've spent fighting corruption and focusing on the institutions inside your country, that to some extent 
it's a fight that doesn't matter if the rest of the system is still going to create ways for the powerful to get away with it. I mean, it, it's you sound to me like somebody who's been fighting a battle and then suddenly the curtain around you was raised and you saw the theater was quite different from what you thought it was. There is no yet the final lesson of this journey. Mm, fair. Because if Ukraine fails and there will be millions of victims and deaths, the entire idea of democracy will fail. Because it is like, you know, a guy who was trying to be good, to, to, to create something good, is being executed publicly, and everyone is staying and watching. Just imagine if there will be any other country in the world which would try to build democracy and rule of law after that. No. Just imagine how would authoritarian regimes across the world, what would be their lesson from all this story? The country, the guy who was doing good thing, was robbed, raped, murdered. So we can rob, rape, and murder. And get away with it. You know, Daria, listening to you, I feel um, disoriented and overwhelmed. And I wonder, Sorry for that. No, no, no. I'm not asking you as a refugee fleeing for your life to now comfort me. That wasn't the point of the preface. The point, though, was to say, I'm also incredibly moved by how much you have done. And throughout our conversation, you've referred to your added value, the thing you can do. You seem to be keenly aware of there's a role that I'm supposed to be playing that is unique. Explain to me that. You know, it is important to do what is right, even if you don't know how to do that. And it's important not to be afraid of doing what is right. And I have learned that if you're on this right path, there will be always people around who will help you. There will be always, mm. you know, circumstances around who will help you. I'm, I'm getting these interview requests because people suddenly learned about me from my question to Boris Johnson. Mm -hmm. And it went viral. And now I can tell the story of those people who are not able to tell the story. I'm in constant touch with them. And now I'm kind of uh, a pipeline through which information goes to the world about Ukraine. Mm -hmm. And the secret power is to go the walk. I, I have a friend from Equatorial Guinea, and he's mm -hmm. always telling me the story of a priest who was fighting for justice in Equatorial Guinea, and uh, some people were confused. Why are you fighting for justice in a place where there is no justice and there is no hope? And he told, you make the road by walking. Mm. And the second lesson is that you can't walk the walk alone. Mm -hmm. What we were building, all these reforms I've told to you, were built in a team. 
And we are telling the story of Ukraine. Together. My lessons from Daria Kalinuk. One, know when to escape. You do not need to be on the ground to wield influence. Find a safe space where you can still be heard. Two, the world is very interconnected. When you're small potatoes, you need to enlist big potatoes, people the same size as your opponent, to your side. You cannot win all alone. Three, Your fear of making powerful enemies will not make your enemies any less powerful. To stop a bully, you cannot play along. this episode of Art of Power, we really burned the midnight oil. We wanted to bring you a voice who could explain the historical juncture we were in, in our style, a voice who is on the ground with skin in the game and with deep perspective that can open all of our eyes. I believe we've done that. I hope we've done that. If you think we've done that, please give us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or share this episode with a friend. Nothing like word of mouth. This episode was produced by Justin Bull, Hina Srivastava, Sylvia Goodman, and me, Arthi Shahani. Our executive producer is Kevin Dawson. Let me know what you think. On Instagram and Twitter, I'm at Arthi411, A-A-R-T-I-411. For exclusive offers, you can sign up for the Art of Power newsletter at wbez.org slash AOP newsletter. See you next week. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR.